Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, your host, and the clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. For today's episode, we welcome Charanjit Singh from our product management team at Mayo Clinic Laboratories for a test-specific podcast. Thanks for the introduction, Dr. Pritt. Today, we'll be discussing our cholestasis gene panel, CHLGP, with Dr. Devin Oglesby. Before we get started, Dr. Oglesby, could you please provide us a little information about your background? Thanks, JR. Again, my name is Devin Oglesby. I'm a lab director in genetics in Mayo Clinic, Rochester. I started here almost 20 years ago as a clinical laboratory fellow in biochemical genetics, and I immediately followed that with another fellowship in molecular genetics. Since that time, my clinical and research focus has been on improving the diagnosis of genetic disorders and reducing the odyssey or time to diagnosis that many patients with rare disease face. My laboratory practice is centered on inborn areas of metabolism, newborn screening, and mitochondrial disease. These are areas of genetics where liver dysfunction and cholestasis are part of the disease burden. I appreciate the invitation from you to talk about our cholestasis gene panel. This is one of several disease-specific next-generation sequencing panels that have been launched in the past couple of years, and we've received some positive feedback about this test from our clinical colleagues. Thank you so much for your background, Dr. Oglesby. So the first question I have is, could you please uh, give the audience a brief overview of this assay? Yeah, definitely. This test utilizes sequence capture and next-generation sequencing to detect single nucleotide and copy number variants in about 112 genes associated with primary monogenic cholestasis. At least 99% of nucleotide bases are covered at high depth, which is defined as a coverage greater than 30X. Variants identified by this method may also be confirmed by Sanger sequencing or polymerase chain reaction or PCR. All the detected variants are evaluated by our laboratory genetic counselor team, according to American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics and American Molecular Pathology recommendations, and are classified based on known, predicted, or possible pathogenicity classifications. Each test result is provided with an interpretive comment that's tailored to the needs of each patient that have been referred for testing, detailing any identified variants' potential or known significance. These test results are also reviewed by our laboratory directors. Multiple prediction tools and variant databases may be used to assist with the interpretation of results. This test can be performed on whole blood, dried blood spots, saliva swabs, or cultured cells. This reduces the potential barriers to testing, including specimen cold storage during international shipping or transport, or even interferences that can occur due to a blood transfusion, which can delay the ability to use a blood draw for testing. In addition, the constituents of this panel can be customized depending on the clinical need of each patient. In fact, we have an online custom gene application that can simplify ordering a sub-panel of this test or even an individual gene target depending on the specific clinical need. And this is unusual in the field. That's great information, Dr. Oglesby. So my next question, you mentioned patient, uh, ties into patient's needs. Which patients should have this testing and when should it be performed? This test should be performed on patients when a primary genetic form of cholestasis is suspected. 
Cholestasis is a marked reduction in bile secretion and flow, which leads to the retention of the constituents of bile in blood. Two major constituents of bile are bilirubin and bile acids. Thus, biochemically, cholestasis is marked by the elevation of these two constituents, as well as changes in serum levels of enzymes typically found in liver cells. Clinically, individuals with cholestasis can present with jaundice, or the yellowing of eyes and skin, due to the retention of bilirubin, or pruritus, which is itchiness due to increased concentration of bile acids. Bioflow is also very important for the absorption of fat and fat-soluble vitamins, so the long-term consequences of cholestasis can include clinical features of fat-soluble vitamin deficiencies, among other more severe complications to the liver. Among genetic causes of cholestasis, it can be the primary clinical symptom due to a condition called progressive familial intrahepatic cholestasis. And I know the name is a mouthful, and it's often referred to as PFIC. Cholestasis can also be one of the several symptoms due to a variety of genetic disorders, that cause multi-system disease. In addition, many forms of cholestasis are transient. Some occur due to the presence of both a risk-associated alleles and environmental circumstances. Others' presentations are immune-mediated or due to infections. And finally, drug toxicity can also lead to cholestasis. And so identifying a genetic cause of cholestasis has been very difficult to achieve until recently. This test aims to simplify the diagnostic path for patients and reduce the time to diagnosis. It includes genes for all known progressive familial intrahepatic cholestasis subtypes, which can present in childhood and account for 12 to 13% of infantile cholestasis. But it also includes gene targets or other conditions responsible for cholestasis, such as allergial syndrome, alpha-1 antitrypsin, cystic fibrosis, congenital defects of bile acid synthesis, Krigler-Najjar syndrome, or Gilbert syndrome. In addition, some inborn areas of metabolism, an area of focus that I have on um, in my clinical practice, like citrin deficiency due to autosomal recessive variants in the gene SLC25A13, which can present in childhood or also with adult onset disease. We have genes that cover conditions such as proxosomal disorders, um, like Zellweger syndrome, and mitochondrial disorders, which can also present with cholestatic liver disease, among other features that have been included in this panel. Well, thank you. It's, it's so great that we have a test to help with this, uh, as you mentioned, difficult diagnosis as uh, many things could cause cholestasis. Um, a follow-up question to that, um, how are the results used in patient care now that we know what types of patients should have the testing and when it should be performed? How will the results be used in patient care? There are many, many benefits to genetic testing. Understanding the underlying cause of an individual's condition can also help with predicting prognosis. It's difficult to understand disease progression without an underlying diagnosis. Importantly, it can help with the patient's management and help initiate a course of treatment. Knowing the specific diagnosis can also increase awareness for the risk of potential additional health complications so appropriate screening and management can be initiated. Genetic testing can also benefit family members by enabling the understanding of how the condition is inherited, whether it's autosomal dominant, autosomal recessive, or X-linked, and whether additional offspring or other family members are at a potential risk. And this gives us the ability to target specific testing for those at risk. Certain cholestatic conditions have specific treatment options. For instance, patients with progressive familial intrahepatic cholestasis, management with drugs such as ursodeoxycholic acid can improve the biochemical cholestasis. Antipyritic medication can reduce itchiness. 
nutritional modulation and fat soluble vitamin supplementation can also achieve adequate caloric intake and vitamin levels to aid with normal growth and development. And finally, for some patients with PFIC, a liver transplant might actually be curative. In contrast, there are other forms of cholestasis that can occur with a range of symptoms, including hypoglycemia or hypoaminemia, as observed for citrine deficiency, which is associated with a range of metabolic anomalies. Patients are treated with dietary modifications to prevent recurrent episodes of hypoglycemia and hyperaminemia, and often require a lifetime of management to relieve symptoms and achieve adequate caloric supply during episodes and reduce the burden of liver disease. Each genetic diagnosis is obtained by this gene panel has the potential for personalized management. And given how rapid the field of genetic testing is changing and impacting rare disease diagnostics, it's a very exciting time for laboratory medicine. Great. So the last question I have to kind of bring it together here is what alternative test options are available and how do those compare to our test? As a biochemical geneticist, my immediate response to this question is to emphasize that genetic testing should only be considered in the context of a complete clinical evaluation, a family history, and other laboratory data, such as bilirubin and toy bile acid levels, among other tests. Often, family history might help guide gene testing. In the circumstance that a genetic cause of cholestasis is suspected, molecular analysis is unfortunately the gold standard out there, and there are not many options for genetic testing that are as inclusive or complete as this cholestasis gene panel. Those are all the questions, Dr. Ogilvy. Thank you so much for your time today and really going to in-depth about our uh, cholestasis gene panel. Really grateful for your time today. Hey, I appreciate it. Any time to chat about what we do in the laboratory excites me. And um, I think laboratorians like me are satisfied when we can provide answers to patients and families who not too long ago had very few options. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.